Learning happens everywhere all the time. Hey there and welcome to the Homeschool Success Podcast. I am your host, Cami Wanis, the Freedom Scholar. My experience as a veteran homeschool mom, former public high school teacher, and mentor to homeschool families everywhere, along with periodic guests, will help you to create the homeschool experience you always wanted and your family deserves. Homeschooling is a leap of faith that can cause doubts, overwhelm, and uncertainty while trying to keep love of learning high and balance life, work, and kids. Each episode is packed with the strategies, tips, activity ideas, and resources you need to ensure your kids get a great education, create close family relationships, become good leaders, and have tons of fun. You'll learn everything from scheduling, curriculum, routines, and homeschooling multiple ages to increasing love of learning and everything in between. This podcast is different from anything else out there by also focusing on the thinking shifts that are the key to homeschooling successfully. Whether you're new to homeschooling or a seasoned veteran, make sure to subscribe so you'll gain the practical strategies and confidence you need to develop a rich love of learning culture and environment that results in passionate, lifelong learners. More than ever before, leaders are needed who have a great education and who use their unique talents and gifts to make this world better. Join me on my mission to raise our next generation of leaders through ensuring your family has a supportive and inspiring homeschool journey. Homeschooling is learning through life. You got this. Okay, you guys. So today we're going to be talking about math and this amazing article that when I read it, I blew my mind in terms of my math paradigm. My math paradigm got turned all up on its head and I was like, man, this makes so much sense. This is exactly what everybody needs to know about math to make it interesting. If I knew this when I was younger, I would love math. I was an English major. I became an English teacher in public school. I loved language arts. I love literature. I still do. And I always struggled with math. I always really, I mean, I did okay. I had B's and stuff. I did fine, you know, A's and B's, but um, as I got further, it was mostly B's and it was really hard to get those, but I really, really enjoyed literature and English stuff more than math. And that's because I enjoyed the creativity. I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the thinking of it and the ingenuity and all the things that goes with it. But math didn't have any of that. Math was like just really prescripted. It had rules. It had, not that English doesn't because it does have rules, but it had rules that were just one specific answer. There wasn't a lot of creativity other than if you got into geometry and I actually really did enjoy geometry. I enjoyed geometry because it was something that had more had more meat to it. It had more thinking to it. It was more than just a formulaic answer. And to me, I always told my my family and anybody I talked to, I said, geometry proofs were like an essay to me. It was like an essay to me. It was, here you have a problem. 
your thesis statement, right? You have something that you're trying to prove. You have reasons, and those reasons have an explanation attached to it. And you're you're listing all of those in order. And I felt like for me, geometry was like that. It was so creative. It was more expressive. And I love that about English and literature and all of those, you know, writing and all the things that go with English language arts. And that applied to geometry as well. But I didn't get that in algebra. And I really struggled in algebra. And I think a lot of people do because algebra is so formulaic. It's so particular and prescribed in terms of you just have to memorize this. And the further you get, like in pre-calculus and trigonometry, you just have to memorize these formulas and then you just apply them. And I was had a really hard time with that. And it seemed like I could do it in class. I understood it when the teacher explained it to me and helped me through it because I ended up going into the classroom a lot during lunchtime and before school and stuff to get help. But when I did it on my own, it just, I don't know, it just didn't make any sense to me. So it, it, it didn't work out the way that I thought it would. But seriously, a lot of people struggle with that. And this whole conversation, some people do love math, by the way, and they love the formulaic. They love that there's one right answer. They love that there's this very logical way to get from one step to another. And I like the logic too, that part about it anyways. But I also really missed the creativity in that. And I didn't understand how you could really get creative in that. I got a little bit in college, but again, I wasn't a math major. I wasn't a science major. So I didn't really get into a lot of those classes. And what, what I did have in college was a little bit more of the creativity of geometry. Like I said earlier, I really love geometry, but it wasn't so much in the, I didn't get so deep into the calculus and all that other stuff. So maybe that is different for some people. And I think that from this article that I'm going to share with you today, that people who love math often love that it's repetitious. It's you get it down and then you just keep doing it. And you're like, man, I got this. I feel good about myself. Right? <laughs> so, so you get that kind of ego boost or self-confidence boost that you got this kind of thing going on. And for people who are very logical and not very creative, which I actually think most people are pretty much everybody is very creative. They just haven't been allowed to be creative necessarily, or been shown the skills to be able to unlock the creativity. So that's what we're going to talk about today, because this article is called A Mathematician's Lament by Paul Lockhart. You might have heard it before. It's very, very popular. But a Mathematician's Lament by Paul Lockhart. You can look it up anywhere and you can read it. It's 26 pages. It's 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 a long article, but the, you'll get it within the first like two pages, really. You'll get it within, let's say, three pages, okay? <laughs> but the whole reason why I bring this up is because I had a recent conversation between two moms, and one's a homeschooling mom and one is not. Her kids go to public school. And the homeschooling mom was saying, man, my son is really hating math. We're struggling in math. Just doesn't want to do any math at all. Doesn't see the point. Doesn't want to even talk about the idea of math. Just hates it altogether. Right. And then the other mom was saying, my 10 year old actually really loves math, does really well in school with math. And I just want to get her a tutor so that she can explore more depth about math. So my responses to these parents are actually obviously very different. However, 
they're different in context, but the actual advice is almost the same. And one is that a tutor is not going to get you to explore math in a much deeper, more creative way most of the time, like 99% of the time. Tutors are going to help you with the formulas. They're going to help you work through the textbook. They're going to help you do the curriculum, but they're not going to get you through the creative part. And and they're not going to help you deepen your understanding of mathematics. And I love this article because in here, Paul Lockhart talks about the beauty of math. And I know there's beauty there. And I'm so excited to learn it now that I'm an adult <laughs> and the pressure is off, right? When you're a kid, man, and really when you get into high school, the pressure's on. He talks about that in this article because you got grades and you have transcripts and you have college applications and you want things to look good on college applications, right? So it's something that really puts a lot of pressure on kids and it's required. You know, it's something that's required. You have to know this. And if you don't know math, you're never going to succeed in life and those kind of things, right? There's a lot of pressure around it. Or you're not smart. If you're a mathematician, if you're good at math, you're smart, right? And the other parents I talked to about math, about not having a love of learning of math. Well, yeah, if I didn't feel good and feel successful in a subject matter, I'm not going to want to do it again. Who wants to do that, right? I'm not going to want to do it again. And I'm not going to want to... I'm not going to want to do the same way that I've done it before, especially in school. If I didn't feel good about it in school and now we're homeschooling and now I'm doing more curriculum and textbook and things like that, or even online, that's not very fun, right? That's not enjoyable. I don't want to do that, especially if I wasn't good at it to begin with. Right. And I love that because it's the same response is that we have to create the love of learning of math. And so that's where this article comes in because you guys, I'm going to read to you a little bit today. So you're going to have to be a little bit patient because this story is going to blow your mind and you're going to be like, what? We've learned math the wrong way this whole time. I know I was in public school. I taught public school. I can tell you the whole system is like this. If we just taught in this way with this idea, we would have a totally different view of math. And everybody, almost everybody, let's just say, would love math because it's fascinating. And the way he explains it, it makes you fall in love with math just in general, just by reading about how much beauty there is in math. I absolutely love that. So I'm going to read to you from this article. It's called A Mathematician's Lament by Paul Lockhart. And it talks about, it opens up with a story about a, mu a musician, right? A musician waking up from a terrible nightmare. In his dream, he finds himself in a society where music education has been made mandatory. Quote, we are helping our students become more competitive in an increasing sound-filled world, end quote. Educators, school systems, and the state are put in charge of this vital project. Studies are commissioned, committees are formed, and decisions are made, all without the advice or participation of a single working musician or composer. Does that kind of sound familiar to you? <laughs> kind of sounds familiar, right? 
I mean, really, that's typical. What I said here was typical experts in education know the best, right? And the experts are typically not the people who are doing the actual work, right, in the world. It's really crazy. So then he says, since musicians are known to set down their ideas in the form of sheet music, these curious black dots and lines must constitute the language of music, quote. It is imperative that students become fluent in this language if they are to attain any degree of musical competence. Indeed, it would be ludicrous to expect a child to sing a song or play an instrument without having a thorough grounding in music notation and theory. Playing and listening to music, let alone composing an original piece, are considered very advanced topics and are generally put off until college and often more graduate school. This is sounding familiar. As for primary and secondary schools, their mission is to train students to use this language to jiggle symbols around according to a fixed set of rules. Quote, music class is where we take out our staff paper. Our teacher puts some notes on the board and we copy them or transpose them into a different key. We have to make sure to get the clefs and key signatures right. And our teacher is very picky about making sure that we fill in our quarter notes completely. One time, we had a chromatic scale problem and I did it right, but the teacher gave me no credit because I had the stems pointing the wrong way. Hmm. In their wisdom, educators soon realize that even very young children can be given this kind of musical instruction. In fact, it is considered quite shameful if one third grader has not completely memorized his circle of fifths. I'll have to get my son a music tutor. He simply won't apply himself to his music homework. He says it's boring. He just sits there staring out the window, humming tunes to himself and making up silly songs. <laughs> In the higher grades, the pressure is really on. After all, the students must be prepared for the standardized tests and college admissions exams. Students must take courses in scales and modes, meter, harmony, and counterpoint. Quote, it's a lot for them to learn, but later in college, when they finally get to hear all this stuff, they'll really appreciate all the hard work they did in high school, end quote. Of course, not many students actually go on to concentrate in music, so only a few will ever get to hear the sounds that the black dots represent. Nevertheless, it's important that every member of society be able to recognize a modulation or a fugal passage, regardless of the fact that they will never hear one. Quote, to tell you the truth, most students just aren't very good at music. They're bored in class, their skills are terrible, and their homework is barely legible. Most of them couldn't care less about how important music is in today's world. They just want to take the minimum number of music courses and be done with it. I guess there are just music people and non-music people. I had this one kid, though. Man, he was sensational. Her sheets were impeccable. Every note in the right place, perfect calligraphy, sharps, flats, just beautiful. She's going to make a one hell of a musician one day. Waking up in a cold sweat, the musician realizes gratefully that this was all just a crazy dream. Of course, 
He reassures himself. No society would ever reduce such a beautiful and meaningful art form to something so mindless and trivial. Are you getting it now? No culture could be so cruel to its children as to deprive them of such a natural, satisfying means of human expression. How absurd. And then he goes on to say in the article that he goes on to say the same thing about painting, right? So you do the same thing about painting. And he talks about how teachers were trained by other teachers who were not mathematicians themselves. And so it's really interesting. And that the, 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 what they use are curriculum who were not made by mathematicians and who were supplied by the school board. And it tells you what to do, right? Exactly. And so he says, it's really amazing. He says uh, in here, the first thing to understand is that mathematics is an art. Did you get that in the story? The mathematics is an art. It's an art form. The difference between math and other arts, he says, such as music and painting, is that our culture does not recognize it as such. Part of the problem is that nobody has the faintest idea what it is that mathematicians do. Isn't that fascinating? Nevertheless, the fact is that there is nothing as dreamy and poetic, nothing as radical, subversive, and psychedelic as mathematics. Isn't that fascinating? Oh my gosh. I think it's just fascinating. So, and he says, mathematics is the purest form of arts. It is as, oh, he says, it's the purest form of the arts as well as the most misunderstood. And then he says this, uh, this other mathematician, G.H. Hardy, explains math- mathematics like this. He says, a mathematician, like a painter or poet, is a maker of patterns, a maker of patterns. If his patterns are more permanent than theirs, it's because they are made with his ideas. Gosh. What beautiful way to describe math. That is not how I learned math. That is not how I learned math at all. He says what math is, is wondering, playing, amusing yourself with imagination. He says a major theme of mathematics is things are what you want them to be. I love this. I love this. He says math, um, A mathematician's art is asking simple, elegant questions about our imaginary creations and crafting satisfying, beautiful explanations. You know, that's something I really love about what he's talking about here is that mathematics is the art form first. And so what he's saying is we're teaching math backwards, you guys. We're teaching all of this rudimentary, like, well, no, I shouldn't say rudimentary. We're teaching all this formula all this prescription first before we actually understand the beauty of it and just admire it for what it can be and the creativity of it. And we don't even understand the creativity. Quite frankly, I don't understand the creativity of it. He he does talk about it in this article. And when you look at it that way, you're like, yes, that is exactly what I loved about English and about language arts. I love 
the question and 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 just think and just imagining something, imagining a world, and then asking a question about it, and then finding out little details and stuff like that to just explore more about it. This is what math is. He says there are rules. Of course there are rules. And it's, but you can't take away the idea and the imagination. And what we're doing with math when we teach just the problem, oh my gosh, he has such a great example here. Let me find it for you. He says the problem with teaching just a simple word problem is that you're, or doing a formula like this, the area of a triangle, right, is A equals half of base versus height, right? We all are base times height. We already know that. We know that to be a formula, but we don't understand the beauty of where it came from. He says, imagine, I'm imagining a rectangle and there's a triangle within a rectangle. How much, you know, does the rec the triangle take up of the triangle? I don't know, but let's, let's, play with it a little bit. Let's see that, that, that the shapes are, if we draw a line from the top to the bottom of the triangle, oh my gosh, we can figure out, well, look, we can just see that the, that this area of the triangle is about the same is of the rectangle, right? The outside part of the rectangle. So it's really fascinating to pull that together and think about it in terms of, yes, there are formulas that we can use, but you're missing the whole part before it, the context. And it's not just about application. He says that we don't just say, we don't just say it's for architecture. It's for science. It's for learning about the universe. It's for, you know, doing all this stuff. He says, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be a four. It, there doesn't have to be anything that it's for. It can just be the beauty of the experience itself and the imagination that goes with it. And I love that because we always say, oh, well, there's missing application. We need application. And that's true. We do miss the application. But what we're missing before that is we're missing that there's an experience that happens before even the application. Once we have that experience, that's where the creativity of architecture and so many people get attracted to architecture because you can apply all of this stuff to architecture and, and then be super creative with it, right? Even in the universe and all the stuff my son loves to watch, watch uh, documentaries about the universe and like just learn about it and stuff. And the things that they're applying and the mathematics they're applying there is so theoretical and creative. And that's what he's saying. We're missing that part. where like the, what if the, what if ever, how do I figure that out? What if that, what if that, what if that, and then, Oh, that doesn't work this way because it works like this. It doesn't work that way. Oh, that doesn't work at all. Oh, well, it works this way. All of these things we're missing about math and we're missing the context if you could apply this into your homeschool, it would revolutionize everything. It would revolutionize math. How much do you play with math? How much do you teach your kids to just explore math and, and not say, oh, that's, I, sometimes I do that all the time. I'll say, oh, that's math right there. And he'll say, oh, really? That's math. But there's more to it than that. We're not playing with math. We're not exploring the beauty and the art of math. And that also has a lot to do with knowing mathematicians and how they play with math. We don't have to do it the same way, but it just opens our eyes because most of us have been trained in 
the way that school teaches math. And then we're doing that at home. I done the same thing. We have a math curriculum that we use. We don't use it every day. We don't even use it every week. We don't even use it every month, but we do use it sometimes. And I hate the formula. If your kids hate repetition, they hate the, the doing, you know, remember at school, you used to do the, all the odd problems. And then tonight you do all the even problems. And then, you know, that's your homework. That's not how math has to be. Right. And I always say, if your kid has already mastered it, move on. <laughs> you don't need to do all that repetition, right? That's boring. Who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. So that's what you can do at home. You can start to explore math. And that's one of the things we talk about in the Homeschool Success Club. And we're really going to talk about it in the upcoming brand new course, a Homeschool Success a Mastery. Homeschool Success Mastery. It's so new for me still. Homeschool Success Mastery is a really deep dive into how to master love of these different subjects. And especially we're going to talk about mastering math too. It's going to be so fun. But I can't wait to teach math this way. I can't wait to turn math on its head. And who wouldn't love math like that? So if your kid doesn't like math, if your family doesn't like math, if you don't like math, stop what you're doing. Stop the conveyor belt, formulaic, prescribed math and go back and have fun with it and learn about it and just explore with it and play with it. And then turn it on its head. And then you can go into that stuff later, right? Because that's what mathematicians do. And sometimes they do it just because it's fun. <laughs> and it will be fun if you're doing it that way, right? You guys, this is, I hope this has blown your mind. I hope you have reacted in the same way I did, which was, what? Yes, this is beautiful. This is exactly what I always wanted math to be, which I didn't know existed. And I love it. It's so exciting. It reminds me of my college geometry teacher who was this crazy dude, but he had math love. He just had a passion for math and it was not about formulaic math. He loved the creativity. He loved the thinking, the imagination, all of that. And I was like, okay, whatever. Cause I'm in college and I don't know any different and I'm not going to be a math major. So who cares? And I thought it was fun. And I got some, I got inspired by that, but I never really understood it because we were still doing formulaic math, <laughs> but he did convey that passion. And I thought that was really fascinating. So anyways, you guys, if that really sounds interesting to you, explore different ways, reach out, contact me, and definitely look out for the Homeschool Success Mastery uh, course coming up in late November, actually mid to late November. It's going to be super exciting. I'm so excited about this. I hope you are inspired to go learn about math in the right way and to inspire creativity and the art and love of math because math is amazing. It's really amazing. And I didn't even know that until I was an adult. <laughs> How sad is that? Right. But it's true. It's true. Okay. You guys, I hope you are totally excited about math now and you are ready to get started on a love of math journey. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. If you're loving this information and want to connect with Cami live, join our Facebook group, the Freedom Scholar Homeschooling Community. 
Every Thursday in Live with Cammie, you can get more great homeschool tips, how-tos, and resources, and get your questions answered. And subscribe to our newsletter to get your free ebook, Creating Educational Harmony in Your Home. See show notes for the links. Hope to see you live. This is an informational podcast. The information presented in each episode is the most recent and honest to the best of the presenter's ability. Results are not guaranteed. This podcast aims to educate and there are no guarantees of results implied. Listeners are encouraged to seek out and meet their local homeschool requirements. Any products, websites, and company names mentioned in this podcast are their respective owner's trademarks or copyright properties. The presenter is not associated or affiliated with them in any way unless otherwise stated. Nor does the referred product, website, or company necessarily sponsor, endorse, or approve this podcast. We hope you enjoy and find value in each episode. This content is copyrighted and not authorized for reproduction.